past two months have been nothing short of cataclysmic. The coronavirus pandemic, which is first and foremost a health crisis, has brought economies around the world to a screeching halt. The fiscal and monetary response to COVID has been bigger and faster than anything we've ever seen. Containing the fallout from the virus has upended standard economic theories about public spending and deficits. Congress and the Fed seem willing to create limitless sums of money to save the economy from collapse. But what are the impacts of the ballooning debt? Should we be worried about inflation? As a global company, what do we need to watch out for as we move from crisis management to economic recovery? Welcome to Toyota Talks Global. I'm Lila Aridia Foss, Group Manager for Global Policy. I'm pleased to host two well-known economists who often have differing views to provide a balanced perspective on these issues. First, we will hear from Jason Furman, the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama and a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School. Then we will hear from Steve Moore, a senior economic advisor to President Trump, author of Trumponomics and a distinguished fellow at the Heritage Foundation. I hope you enjoyed this episode, Will Coping with COVID Defy How We View Debt? Thank you, Jason, so much for joining us today. Very excited to hear your views. To begin with, we were already running a $1 trillion deficit at the start of the COVID crisis, and that was wrapped up during a, a time of prosperity. And so now with the passage of the CARES Act and supplemental funding, the deficit is hovering around $3.7 trillion. But given the scale of the COVID crisis and what it will take for the economy to recover, should we be very concerned about deficits? Policymakers have responded to the COVID crisis with huge fiscal responses much bigger than the response to the global financial crisis. I think that's appropriate because this has been a much larger, sharper shutdown in economic activity than we saw um, in the past. And so right now is not a time to worry excessively about the deficit and the debt. World War II, the debt also rose by a similar amount, rose to above 100% of GDP. It took us a quarter century after World War II to get that debt back down again. And you know, so I think that we can worry on the other side of this. And financial markets agree with me. You know, they express their concerns about debts and deficits by raising interest rates, and interest rates right now are very low. What would the massive deficit mean for the functioning of the economy? I mean, it's sort of hard to imagine the U.S. government making a patriotic appeal for a COVID surtax to pay back the public spending. But what do you think might be on the horizon as we uh, move towards recovery? One possibility is that interest rates start to rise because of all the borrowing. The Fed can hold that down in the short run, but they can't suppress it forever if those interest rates want to rise. Um, and that interest rate increase would you know, affect borrowing in the corporate um, and non-corporate um, sectors. The you know, likelihood of that doesn't seem incredibly high, but it's always a possibility out there. And then anytime you have a large deficit, it says there's some change happening in the future. Taxes are going to go up or spending is going to go down. And you don't quite know what it is. And my guess is the United States will try to muddle through as long as it possibly can without figuring out what those changes will be. That brings up another point. Does the deficit need to be repaid? I think the United States has a lot more fiscal room than people previously appreciated. You know, if we stabilize the debt at 150% of GDP, I think that would be perfectly fine. 
Um, Japan has more debt than that. Um, Japan's economy has been perfectly good, and insofar as it has problems, I don't think they're tied to the public debt. So I think we can have debt stabilize at a higher level, but it does need to stabilize somewhere. It can't just keep increasing forever. And so I guess the the other concern is inflation. And, you know, for about 40 some years now, we've been really living in a low inflation world. But given all the money printing that's happening here in the United States and in Europe, are you worried about inflation? What causes inflation is not printing excessive amounts of money. What causes inflation is if you try to have your economy produce above and beyond um, what it can produce. And so I wouldn't worry at all about the money printing. We printed a lot of money in the financial crisis. We didn't see any inflation then. Right now, I'm betting against inflation, but I'm only betting against inflation at two to one odds. I'm betting against it because <laughs> unemployment rates are high, because oil prices are low, because there's a lot of ways in which demand is very low. People don't want to spend money. So I think all of that probably will keep inflation in check. The reason I'm not sure is there's also been a collapse in supply, a collapse in what the economy can produce. That could be inflationary. But the last thing I'd say is if I'm wrong in my bet, I would be happy. If we ended up with three, four, five percent inflation, I think that would be a good sign for the economy. It would help lower um, real borrowing costs adjusted for inflation. It would help lower real wages adjusted for inflation. That would help investment. That would help employment and help the economy recover. Right. And yeah, that's a great point. And if, you know, inflation started to soar above that three, four, five percent, would we have time to respond? First of all, there was a debate among economists as to what the inflation target should be. And a lot of inflation target economists think the target should be something more like four percent. So one possibility is we could just decide to accept that. The Fed seemed to be going towards a new strategy of average inflation targeting. So not try to have 2% every year for inflation, but have it average 2% over a period of time. That would allow them more time to reverse an increase if they did want to reverse it. But all of that is, I think, in some sense, a high class problem. It means we did something right um, if we got that sort of inflation, and then we can worry about how to deal with it later. The other issue, of course, is is unemployment. And since we declared a state of emergency in March, we've had over 25 million unemployment claims, which seems to be bringing the real unemployment rate to over 20 percent. And as we as we all know, unemployment can rise quickly, but it rarely recedes quickly. So what do you think this means for households? Is there a risk of uh, individual debt crisis or liquidity crisis moving forward? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two types of unemployment right now. Some of it is furlough, where you're temporarily not on a job. Your job reopens and you go back to your job. That will be fine. But a bunch of this is jobs that aren't coming back or aren't coming back anytime soon. You know, sectoral shifts that happen over a several year period. And that's the type of unemployment that falls very slowly. In terms of what it does to overall demand in the economy, really depends on policy. If you continue generous unemployment insurance and you continue to blanket people with checks, that means that at least we could prove that unemployment from translating into a massive demand shortfall. If, on the other hand, some of what we're doing right now expires and comes to an end, then we'll compound the effect of the virus 
with second and third round demand shortfalls as well. So taking sort of a, a broader scope on this, and it's particularly relevant given that we are a multinational corporation, I see two potential narratives coming out of the, this crisis. Uh, the first is that globalization is to blame. You know, due to international trade and travel, this virus that started in Wuhan was able to spread around the world and our reliance on global supply chains has made us vulnerable to this massive disruption and therefore we really need to accelerate deglobalization. And then the second is that globalization is the key to recovery and that countries' collaboration on testing and vaccines and the ability to import critical PPE will save lives and spur growth and that those same supply chains will actually help us uh, get on the path to, to boosting economic growth. So what do you think the consensus view on trade will be moving forward? Well, I can tell you my view is that globalization is inevitable. And so let's make sure we're getting the best of it and, you know, limiting the worst of it. That would be the rational response, that we do more through the WHO, that we give the IMF more resources so it can prevent a global financial crisis and the like. I think, you know, some people will move in that direction because of this. I think others, though, will retreat inward. And I think that inward retreat is a real mistake because, by the way, it's not like domestic supply chains are working perfectly now either. And there's international supply chain disruptions, but there's a lot of domestic ones as well. And we're never going to stop you know, people from crossing borders. There'll always be people crossing borders. If you had everyone stay home for the rest of their lives, maybe diseases wouldn't spread, but I'm not sure that would be worth the cost benefit of it. It reminds me of Kofi Annan, the former UN Secretary General, who said trying to fight globalization is like trying to defy the laws of gravity. So whether we like it or not, it's, it's going to keep happening. Couldn't agree more with all of that. And um, thanks for the great discussion. Thank you, Jason. Now let's hear what Steve has to say. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you are in high demand, so we appreciate you sharing your precious time with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Given the scale of the crisis and what it will take to recover, do you think the deficit really matters right now? And if so, like at what point is it too much? No, it's a great question, and I don't think any of us know exactly the answer to that. But my view is that it's not the fact that we're spending so much money, because when you get a crisis, this, for example, Arthur Laffer and myself and Steve Forbes, uh, right out of the gate, advocated a loan program to help businesses that needed support to get through the next three or four or five months, because we didn't want business failures. We didn't want bankruptcies. We wanted jobs for people to come back to. But I would say that I'm not very impressed with the way this program has worked. We made a very big mistake, in my opinion, in converting what was supposed to be a loan program where businesses would take out the loan and then repay taxpayers for the money that they needed into a grant program. And that has turned into a calamity. Since it isn't a loan and that businesses will not be paying it back, what do you think it will take to repay the deficit and do we actually need to? Well, the one salvation we have now is that interest rates are so low. So we're not borrowing at five, six, seven, eight, nine percent. We're borrowing at one percent. And so that makes the burden of the debt less onerous than it would otherwise be in normal times. So it's going to take a long time. I mean, we're looking at my estimate is to see the federal deficit as high as five to six trillion dollars this year. That would be four times as much as the government has ever borrowed in one year other than in World War II. So these are gigantic numbers. Right now, the most important thing by a mile, the most important thing 
is to get businesses up and running to open back up our society. We cannot. We cannot go into late May or June without businesses up and running, without workers back on the job, or you're going to see massive, massive misery. You're going to see millions and millions of Americans plunge into poverty. You're going to see employment rate potentially of 30, uh, you know, 25%, but with 30 million people unemployed. These are horrendous numbers, and we have to avoid that. And the only way you can avoid that kind of future is to start getting commerce flowing again. How worried are you about inflation? Not at all. I think, you know, there's some economists who are very worried about it. Right now, I'm much more worried about deflation than inflation. I think mm. the Fed needs to continue to put, I mean, look at what's happening. The price looks what's happening. The commodities, they're falling. The problem is more deflation than inflation. And the Fed needs to pour more liquidity into the economy quickly because, you know, deflation can shrink an economy. It's, it can be really mm. deadly. So I, I read these stories about people, economists saying, oh, we're going to have big inflation. Well, if that's the case, why are people buying 30-year Treasury bonds at a 1.2% interest rate, right? I mean, there's no sign right now of inflation anywhere in the economy. The signs we do see are falling prices, not rising prices, partly because when you get a crisis like this, the first thing everyone wants to do around the world is buy dollars, right? And that's something we're watching very closely as well. And, and whether there'll be sort of rather than these aid packages, which we've seen passed by Congress to date, more of a stimulus measures to try and get that liquidity, either through the Fed or through other funding mechanisms to, to well, keep I'll, the economy I'll, going. I'll tell you one proposal that I've been promoting with, again, my buddy Laffer and others um, is the idea of if you really want to put liquidity, you want to get people buying again and you want to get people working again, why don't we just repeal the payroll tax for the rest of the year? That would right. provide uh, dollars for workers. Uh, they get a seven and a half percent pay increase. So every every time an American employee got a got a paycheck, they'd have seven and a half percent more in that paycheck. Uh, and then for an employer, you had a seven and a half percent reduction in your hiring costs. Right. So that means you're going to get more hiring. You're going to get less people staying unemployed and more people in the workforce. And and by the way, and when they got money, guess what they're going to do? They're going to run out and buy a car. One thing that we've noticed in other markets like China and Europe is that once the economy starts opening up again, we've actually seen an uptick in car purchases because people no longer want to take public transportation. And so they're buying vehicles that are very fuel efficient and budget friendly because they no longer want to rely upon mass transit. Well, this is an important point, actually, you're making, because one of the things that we're discovering with respect to coronavirus is that the number one transmitter of coronavirus in the country was crowded transit trains. Oh, interesting. And been shut down much, much more. I mean, New York City, that's what caused the crisis, was people crowding into subway cars and catching the virus. So I, I agree. I think you're going to see more and more people wary of you know, loading up into crowded transit, and you know, they're, going to be, uh, they're going to be driving more. So that's going to be a, a change that we're going to see on the way we used to live versus the way we get to work in the future. In your view, what do you think the consensus will be on trade moving forward? As you know, I'm a big fan of globalization. I think the expansion of free trade around the world has been really a, a liberator in terms of uh, getting people more money and, and uh, higher living standards across the globe, there's going to be a, a move to try to bring it home. But I don't think it will affect something like the auto industry. I mean, that's such a globalized system right now, and it's made cars cheaper for people all around the world. Thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Many thanks to Jason and Steve for sharing their insight. 
For me, the biggest takeaways are that we have a long road to recovery, but we should not fear inflation from all this public spending. Given how low commodity prices are, deflation could be a risk. As for the deficit, the U.S. has a lot of fiscal room, and if we can stabilize the debt after the crisis, we can manage it as long as interest rates remain low. The key is to bring businesses back safely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Toyota Talks Global. I'm Lila Aridia Foss, Group Manager for Global Policy. Until the next time.